Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every week on Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. So, welcome to the first episode of Pop Pantheon. I'm so excited that we finally are here. Anyone who knows me and has had to endure years of me never shutting up about pop stars and pop music will tell you this podcast is very welcome and has been a long time coming. So, I'm so excited to be here and to finally have a place for all my fellow pop fanatics to go all the way deep on all of our faves. So since this is our first episode, I want to quickly give everyone an overview of what the Pop Pantheon is and how it works. For the sake of brevity, I'm going to breeze through it a bit here, but if you want a more in-depth breakdown of all the tiers in the Pantheon, please head over to our brand spanking new Instagram, at poppantheonpod, which has a super fun graphic describing all the tiers. And, or, you can scroll back to the Pop Pantheon Tiers mini-sode. It's right below this one, and I go into major depth there on each tier. But, for now, here's a quick tour of the Pantheon. The Pantheon is essentially a list of five tiers I've created to help sort out the world of pop stars. So, you can kind of think of it as like a definitive ranking of sorts, and it's also going to be the grounds for debate on each episode of the podcast between my guests and I. So, for instance... I might think Kesha belongs in tier four, the working class pop star tier, but my guest is more certain that she's in tier three, the superstar tier, and we're going to have to hash that all out. Okay, so at the tippy top of the Pantheon, you have tier one, the icon tier. In the icon tier are the institutional pillars of pop music. These are like the legends amongst legends, the gods of the genre, Artists we know by one name and whose work is embedded in the very fabric of what we think of as pop. This is your Michaels and your Beyonce's. Admission to tier one is extremely exclusive. So once we decide you're in, you literally can't get out. Tier one is like the gilded prison of pop. Everyone we put in tier one is the level of iconic where literally nothing they do, musically or extra musically, could change their tier one status. Next up is tier two, which I'm calling the megastar tier. These are like artists who are one small step below our icons, like maybe a hair shy of being foundational to the genre, but they're still huge. They're probably generationally defining. They're just, for better or worse, not quite at the pinnacle of this little kingdom. Uh, I can't say for certain like who would be here yet, but 
it's sort of to give you a lay of the land where the Gagas and Janets and Justins, Timberlake and Bieber might be. After the megastars comes tier three, which I'm deeming the quote unquote mere superstars. This tier is twofold. So first you've got your sort of big deal up and comers who are early in their ascent, but having a huge impact on culture right now. Billie Eilish would be the main person that would come to mind in this tier. We still don't know how things are going to shake out long term, but they're absolutely culturally saturating this current moment. And then secondly, in tier three, and I'm sorry to all my fellow millennials out here, are many of our faves who had a big moment, maybe a few big albums and a solid number of hits, but are clearly past their prime and have markedly receded in public consciousness. And I mean this with love from the bottom of my heart, but this section of tier three is for the Katy Perry's of the world. Okay, so next up is tier four, what I call your working class pop stars. Like tier three, this has two separate tracks to it. First, it's what you might call one album wonders like Nelly Furtado or Paula Abdul. These are folks who had maybe one or two big albums, a series of hits, but that was kind of it. And then secondly, in tier four, we have your blue collar popsters. And these are the ones that sort of consistently churn out successful material, but never really have a major breakthrough moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but examples of this might be Selena Gomez or Shawn Mendes. And finally, we've arrived at tier five, everyone else, which I realize is kind of a broad category, but it's my podcast and five felt like the right amount of tears. Tier five is where we have everyone from one hit wonders to people who had a lot of hype, but never even really had a big song. And finally, most interestingly in tier five, we have what I like to call niche legends who are pop artists that are not really part of the mainstream convo per se, but persist with a very dedicated, often gay cult following. So this is the category for your Charlie XCXs and your Carly Rae Jepsons, etc. All right, so that's the Pantheon. If you're still a little confused on how this works, that is totally understandable and fine. This will all make more sense, I promise, as my guests and I debate all of these artists, as more episodes come out. And again, if you want to pause this and either hit up our Instagram or hit play on the teaser for a little more context, please feel free. You do not need to, I promise. And one last piece of housekeeping before we get into this week's episode, I just want to say up top a disclaimer here that none of this is a value judgment about whose music is best. It's not meant to be about stand wars or dragging artists for sales figures or any of that. I'm very much not interested in any of that. I personally love and stand artists in every single one of these tiers. And I'm simply trying to create a way to talk about how history frames these people and their work and to create a forum, I guess, to get really deep on the relationship between pop music and culture writ large. Okay, so with all of that said, let's get into it, shall we? Our debut episode is about our current reigning pop princess, Miss Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande is a pop star who I'm fairly certain most of you need no introduction to, but I'm going to give one anyway. 
She's our reigning queen of pop du jour, currently in what musical scholars might refer to as her imperial phase, which just means a short-lived, super potent period in a pop star's career where everything they do, just by dint of their current vice grip on pop culture, and regardless of quality, is successful. Basically, Ariana could sneeze at this point and it would probably go top 10. That's where we're at with her career. Known for her formidable singing pipes, which harken back to the great pop divas of the 80s and 90s, Ariana began her career as a Nickelodeon star before releasing her debut album, Yours Truly, in 2013. Coming on the tail end of the EDM pop boom that personified the late aughts and the early 10s, Yours Truly arrived like a corrective of sorts in that it was a commercial glossy pop album, but one whose references to like the chill pop and B of the mid nineties and the doo-wop and girl group sound of the fifties and sixties helped it serve as like a bit of a tonic to the dance floor slammers that most pop stars were releasing at that time. While Truly introduced the world to Ariana and was a modest breakthrough success, her true arrival on the pop scene occurred the next year, in 2014, with the release of her sophomore album, My Everything. Everything featured smash hits like Problem, Break Free, and Love Me Harder, and presented Grande as a capable pop chameleon, able to morph effortlessly between the dominant pop modes of the day and present something for everyone. Following the release of her third album, Dangerous Woman, in 2016, Ariana elevated her pop stardom significantly with the one-two punch of 2018 Sweetener and 2019's Thank You Next, which were released just six months apart from each other, and both found Ariana experimenting with and refining her sound, which at that point was a mix of hip-hop and R&B fluent pop records that focused on intricate cadence rather than belting and lyrical content that was centered around healing, self-care, and overcoming tragedy. Right Both of these albums also coincided with growing public interest in Ariana's personal life. Prior to Sweetener, an Ariana concert in Manchester, UK was attacked by a suicide bomber, killing around 20 of her fans and creating a swell of public goodwill around her. Soon after, she entered a high-profile whirlwind relationship with SNL's Pete Davidson, which became an internet sensation. Later, just following Sweetener's release, Ariana broke up with Davidson and mourned the untimely death of previous boyfriend, rapper Mac Miller. All of this, the public's interest in her personal life, and most importantly, the way she effectively incorporated and reclaimed those narratives in songs like Thank You Next's title track, came together to turn Ariana from a mere pop star into the musical sensation of the moment. Thought I'd end up with Sean, but it wasn't a match. Wrote some songs about Ricky, now I listen and laugh, even almost got married, and for Pete I'm so thankful, wish I could say thank you to Malcolm, cause he was an angel. One taught me love, one taught me patience, and one taught me pain, 
over her six studio albums, Ariana has sold over 54 million digital singles and 7 million albums in the U.S. alone. She is the most streamed female artist on both Spotify and Apple Music. She has amassed 67 chart entries on the Billboard Hot 100, the fourth most entries for any female artist ever, including five number ones and 18 top 10 hits. On the week Thank You Next was released in 2019, Ariana became the first solo artist to occupy the top three positions on the Billboard Hot 100 simultaneously. Thank You Next also broke the records for the largest streaming week for a pop album and for a female album in the United States with 307 million on-demand streams. Ariana released her latest album, Positions, recorded entirely in quarantine in late 2020. Here with me today to discuss all things Ariana and her position in the pop pantheon is my distinguished guest, music journalist Stephen Horowitz. Stephen is a wonderful writer who has written and edited about music for places like Billboard, Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, Wired, Variety, Vulture, you name it. And he's also a big fellow Ariana fan. And we had a great time getting into the weeds about how Ariana became the supernova she is today how she fits into the pop music lexicon, and a couple thoughts on where we'd like to see her go next. So without further ado, here's my chat with Steven. Okay, so I'm here with Steven Horowitz, music journalist extraordinaire, and my fellow Twitter pop enthusiast. Welcome, Steven. Welcome to me. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. And I'm so glad. I mean, I feel like we spend so much time on Twitter all day, like just responding to each other's tweets about (laughs) pop music. So here we are bringing it into the real world. Yes. I I love to talk shit about pop music just all day. So this is, you know, my dream. Yeah. We're we're living our dream. Okay. So we're here to talk about Ariana today. And I think that Ariana is a, a great subject for this podcast because I think she is emblematic of a lot of different elements of the different pop pantheon tiers. And I also just think that she's like a fascinating pop star in our current moment. And I guess I want to start off by like positing a a thought to you and getting your reaction to it. So I have spent a lot of time thinking over the last couple of years about like the concept of pop megastardom, generally speaking. And This feeling that like from the dawn of the early 80s with like Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince, there has been this specific mold of pop stardom that has kind of carried through the decades. Like you are a cultural monolith. You're the biggest selling musical artist. You're, you know, you're saturating culture. You are an untouchable kind of like God or goddess with like virtuosic talent. And whether it's dancing or it's diva singing or whatever it is. And I feel that there's been a fundamental breakdown of that over the last maybe five to six years where the streaming environment has created such a splintered pop musical landscape that like it's very hard to become like culturally dominant in the way that pop stars used to be able to become culturally dominant. So you have obviously a ton of niche pop artists, people making pure pop music that are successful but are not by traditional metrics. They're not... They're not hitting number one on the Billboard Hot 100. They're not selling tons of records. They're like your Carly Rays, your Charlies, whatever. And they're making pop music that maybe in a different era would have been chart topping, but is now not. And I think even the bigger artists that have emerged lately, like your Billie Eilish's and whatever, there's still something that's not quite 
culturally saturating in the way that like a Michael Jackson was or a Madonna was or a Mariah was or a Lady Gaga was or whatever. And I think that Ariana in a way is kind of the last of that kind. What do you think about that? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you touched on a few things that I think really play into the notion that the megastar is dead almost, if you want to be very final about it. But Ariana came out with her first album, I think, in 2013. And that was basically around the time that streaming became the dominant form of of music consumption. And I think because of the sort of nature of streaming where there's always this insatiable appetite for more and you have to constantly be connected and the rise of social media as the dominant form of communicating with your fans, I think the transparency has grown a lot more for these musicians where they sort of show you all facets of their life. They share everything. And I think what makes a megastar a megastar, and this sort of plays into the idea of the diva as well, where they're sort of interchangeable. You can't really be a megastar without being a diva if you're a female, I guess you could say. Um, (laughs) the, The thing that happens there is back in the day, all of these artists used to be sort of aloof and uh, mysterious. And they would sort of give themselves to you in these very calculated ways, you know, albeit on the cover of a magazine or through their music, through music videos, through performances, through concerts. You know, there was always this remove that was sort of cementing the mysterious elements that's required to be a superstar. And I think when Ariana Grande came out, she was right at the end of that era where she still sort of had this mystique and she wasn't as connected as a Billie Eilish might be or whoever is really active on Twitter. I don't know, Halsey, for example. And I think that eroded the idea of the superstar and uh, basically sort of killed the notion of the diva because mm. how can you get people invested in your story in a way that they are sort of yearning to want to know you better if you're just constantly putting it out there. So I think for Ariana Grande, she came out right at the ends of that era. And that's why we haven't really seen any superstar since then really attain the same sort of heights, I guess you could say. Yeah, I I could not agree with the timeline more. I think it's just, it's really fascinating because I feel like when you and I were like, you know, we're around the same age, I'm going to guess. And I think that when we were through most of our lives, we were sort of used to this cycle of pop stars exploding as supernovas. Like they would kind of come in to fill each other's vacuum. Like there would be numerous active mega pop stars at a given moment. And then that at exactly the time that you were talking about, which happens to coincide with Ariana's debut album, started to really change. And I also think that coincided with uh, pure pop music becoming less tenable on the charts. It was post this um, EDM pop boom that was personified by like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and Kesha and that generation. The musical landscape was beginning to shift thanks to streaming to center hip hop and to center less polished artists who could emerge on the internet, who could emerge without label support, that could emerge less as a fully formed package. 
and sort of change the nature of what pop stardom is and what popular music is at the same time. The other thing that's kind of like very, very tied to divadom is a big singing voice, yeah. which is something that Ariana has and that most people who are famous at the moment really don't rely on big pipes, which is an interesting uh, thing that she has. So I guess what I want to sort of say is, with that in mind, with Ariana as maybe the last, you know, monoculture pop megastar or the last for now, what is it that allows her to embody some of those old school tenets of pop stardom that me and you are used to, but also be the biggest pop star of 2021, a time when none of those things are valued? Yeah. Well, I think you'd have to take a look at the trajectory of her career. Yeah. Let's go back to the beginning of Ariana's career. Talk to us about yours truly. Like, how do you feel about yours truly? What is the sound of yours truly? Like, how does Ariana emerge to us as a pop star? Oh, I was all in on this album when it came out. I was obsessed. A gay man in his mid to late 20s with a, with a respect yeah. for R&B, I was sold. Um, well, basically, when the album came out, she worked with a few producers pretty regularly on that. I think Babyface was one of them. That was the that was the most exciting part of it. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, she is like going to revive like the sound of Tony Braxton yeah, and which, Carey of, in like 1993. Sure. <laughs> it's like thrilled. Well, actually, I, I will get to there. The, con- the connection yeah. with Mariah Carey. And um, I think it's important to bring Babyface into that conversation. But the album also had The Rascals. Uh, Leon Thomas III, I think, was was in that. And she worked with a few other people. But the sound of the record itself was very innocent. And it was fun, sweet pop with a lot of R&B underpinnings. And there was like a little splash of uh, theater kid shit going on there. The song mm-hmm. she has, the duet she has with, with Nathan. Mika. With Mika. <laughs> and even like the ballad that she has with Nathan Sykes from The Wanted. And... Uh, It was really, I think, a cohesive album, and it was just all great pop songs that pull from other places, but they felt really grounded in what she was doing. And the the reason that I wanted to tie Babyface to Mariah Carey is that Ariana played from the same uh, playbook that Mariah did too, and you could hear it on the singles uh, right there, and the way she sampled these classic hip-hop records, which Mariah, you know, that's part of her bread and butter. And, of course... Big pun. Big pu- they were big pun. Still not a player on the way. And... Um, crush on you. Right there. Of course, crush on you. Yeah. Yo, I be buying bees, so all my girls be eyeing C's. Coming backstage, dying to get pleased. You got me, I rock the Versace and linen. Why you spotting grinning with a bunch of foxy women? Why you speedball with cars? That's the so hip-hop is now emerging as the center of pop music at the same time as ariana is emerging as a big pop star but gaga and katie no matter how hard they tried to like dabble in that trend whether we're talking about dark horse or we're talking about the like jewels and drugs. I was just thinking pop, of that like, horrible song. N- never, never should we speak of it again. <laughs> like there was no authentic fluency with that, and it was really embarrassing. I, I thought in some. I would agree too. I mean, Dark Horse obviously was a number one hit, but I think there were, there's, it didn't feel genuine 
in a in a way that Ariana Grande really sort of fluidly moved between pop and hip hop and I think because she she takes a lot of cues from R&B in terms of her vocal stylings and the musical elements of her music and also the people she works with Totally there was something special about Ariana version 1.0 in terms of her being an antidote to the EDM of Gaga and Kesha and being so able to converse with hip hop music in a way that didn't feel awkward. But I think one of the other things that's really interesting about that period and speaking to our earlier conversation is that even though she arrived on the pop scene and she was, you know, a buzzy new pop artist, that era and the first few albums, it felt like she was big, but it wasn't like that 09-10 era of Lady Gaga where it was like, you could not turn a fucking eye in any direction and not think, see, talk about Lady Gaga. That's what pop stardom used to feel like to me. And I remember thinking at the time, like, okay, she's big. She's clearly primed to be the next big thing, but it doesn't feel that big. The moment things clicked into place was in 2018, she releases Sweetener, which is, you know, a huge kind of rejiggering of a lot of her sound. What do you think about Sweetener? I totally agree. I think the first three albums were very solid albums that I don't think really are out of step with each other musically. I think we witnessed the first three albums of her becoming a woman, a, a, like a woman in full bloom sort of thing. And some other artists like Britney and Christina did it from album one to album two. You could say the same thing about Justin Timberlake becoming like a man from a hot teen heartthrob sort of thing. So I think, like you said, I, I very much agree that Sweetener is the first album where it sounded like, oh, this is not an album that could be sung by another artist. The first three albums, I think you could you could disseminate those songs through pop music songwriting camps, and mm. Rihanna and could like snatch Demi one. Could, De- right, 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 right. And Sweetener felt like an actual mission statement. And I think when you actually look at what she's singing about on the record too, this is the first moment where it feels personal, where she's actually mm. writing about the things that are affecting her in real life. And an important insert would be that Sweetener followed her the bombing of her concert in Manchester where 20 of her fans died in a terrorist attack. And it was the beginning of a very important part of Ariana's career where her personal narrative became a huge piece of pop culture fascination outside of her music. So it it was the culmination of that Manchester bombing paired with the fact that she entered a high-profile relationship with Pete Davidson from SNL. Those coincided prior to the release of Sweetener, and I think that upped the interest in who she was as a person and also put the impetus on her to be more personal on that album. A hundred percent. I think the events that led up to this album really dictated the direction of it. And I think she accomplished it. I mean, I'm looking at the track list for Sweetener now, and I remember when it came out, I still remember where I was when I first listened to it. And I don't think you could really say that about a lot of albums, which I think means that it has a big impact when it's able to do that. I think there are some really bad songs on this record, personally. Yeah, but but it did achieve a certain thing, which is it broke her, it gave her personality. And I it gave her an infusion of who is this person into her music in a way that it hadn't been before. And the other thing that I think Sweetener introduced that I think is going to be key to the moment that's about to follow that really cements her as like a superstar and maybe the last superstar, which is the 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 the, the next record, is 
I think what crystallizes on Sweetener is self-care as a musical aesthetic, which is something that I think about a lot with Ariana and I think is endemic to what makes her pop stardom special. Her inserting her overcoming her traumas, she did that not by like doing a woe is me ballad album and not by doing like a triumphant sort of like I'm the queen of the world album. The aesthetic that she adopted on Sweetener was very much like a soft, nurturing cocoon for her to heal in that seemed to speak to a lot of people. Things just take way too much of my energy. I look up and the whole room spinning. You take my cares away. I can so overcomplicate. People tell me to medicate. Feel my blood running in sweat. The sky's falling. I don't know if this shit's Sweetener is still in full bloom when she breaks up with Pete Davidson. Her ex-boyfriend, Mac Miller, dies, and she quickly records and releases Thank You, Next, which to me, uh, it comes out six months later. The song Thank You, Next becomes her first number one hit. It's followed by Seven Rings, her second number one hit. I mean, this is clearly a moment where there's a collision between her personal life and her music that creates like a supernova moment that's kind of been a long time brewing but hasn't quite come to fruition. But I also think it's where her, the se- Ariana having a sound crystallizes. I don't know if you agree. If you do, what is that? What is that sound that crystallizes on Thank You Next? And is there a particular song on Thank You Next that you think is sort of emblematic of that? Yeah. I think this album is completely who she is as an artist. It is a pop record that doesn't have as much of a heavy R&B influence as maybe her previous records, but it just sounds like she's talking directly to you as opposed to Mm -hmm. making songs where she's talking to a stadium, if that makes sense. There's an intimacy that's coded into Mm. this album that makes it feel like you understand her. And I think that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that an artist can face is making sure that their music is personal. I mean, think about how many artists say this is my most personal work yet, and then it's just a fucking joke. (laughs) So many artists say that, but I think Ariana could say that and mean it. And I think that's what makes it such an effective and... I I guess you could say emblematic uh, album for her. It really is the crown jewel for her. If it takes too long to hit me back I can promise you how I react But all I can say Is that at least I'll wait for you Lately I've been on a roller coaster Trying to get a hold of my emotions But all that I know Is that I need you close The way she speaks about what she's going through feels very uh, modern. And that's the thing that I love about the self-care aesthetic that she sort of landed on, which is that, like, that is how we deal with grief now. There's, like, you know, in the past, divas like Toni Braxton would deal with grief by singing melodramatic ballads. That was, like, sort of the way we expressed grief in pop music. What Ariana landed on on Thank You Next and I guess Sweetener to a certain degree is that the way she led us into her world felt so 2018. And I think that was part of why that record worked so well. And I also just think 
sonically, I think, to sort of position us again. Now we're in 2018. I mean, big tent pop music is, there is none. I mean, at, at, by the time, at that point, it sort of feels like Ariana's the only major pop girl that's like having a hot streak right then. And I think it's interesting to get into the sound of why things like Thank You Next and Seven Rings worked on the radio was because, yes, they maybe dialed back some specific R&B influences, but I do think like a song like Seven Rings, for instance, like you could picture, um, you know, Lil Pump rapping over Seven Rings beat or something like that, if I'm trying to think of like who a contemporary hip-hop star would be. But there is a fluency with hip-hop and R&B that... Ariana can slip into very easily cadences like the way she goes you know the way she sings she starts like which is a thing she took from Mariah is she can sing in the rap cadences like the way she can go like right she does the Migos triplet flow I guess one thing that I just really do want to touch on really quickly with you, which I know we've talked about in our pre-roll emails here, which is that like Ariana is a non-black female artist who is very, very fluent in hip hop and is able to incorporate that into her music in ways that other artists get a lot of flack for. We talked about Katy Perry. We talked about Lady Gaga. Um, Why is that? Yeah, I gave this a little bit of thought. I think a good way to preface this is to point to you two years ago when Patti LaBelle called Ariana a white black girl. And then Twitter (laughs) took, uh, Twitter was ready for blood, which understandably, but people were like, what are you going to do? Cancel Patti LaBelle? Like, (laughs) no, No, it's not going to happen. They they would try. I'm they sure. Try. These days maybe it would be a different story. But 2 years ago, different different playing field. But I think to your to your question about her sort of getting this pass to sort of dabble in hip hop and really draw from R&B, I think it really comes from a place of her reverence. She's not just Miley Cyrusing her way through this era for an album. Like she's right. incorporated this into all of her music. She does it flawlessly. And she doesn't do it to the point where it feels like it's overt appropriation. And that's, that's a very, yeah, I I was going to say that's, that's a very dangerous type. Seven rings video, not with seven. Well, I was going to bring that up too. Cause right. We talked about throughout her entire career. She's worked with black musicians, both as featured artists, both as songwriters, both as producers her record label, like, I mean, she has this sort of enclave of people of color who she works with and I'm sure she respects and she helps bring that sort of influence into her music. And I think the only time where it became such a big problem was like with what you said, Seven Rings. And people... Describe describe for us what happened in that video and what was probably uh, she was it was like a house party. I, I'm just going off memory here, so correct me if I'm wrong. But it was yeah. like a weird house party where she was like twerking on a table mm-hmm. and and like on the island in the middle of a kitchen and people were. Did she have a? Grill? Yeah, I, I can't recall exactly, but she might have. There had were a, grill. a lot of very flagrant uses of black culture that people looked at as appropriation and i think fairly because i think also just before i elaborate on that 
people were saying that she was stealing from two chains. I think that's important to this conversation because he has a trap house of some sort. And I believe the controversy was that she was parroting what he was doing. And so there was this sort of literal uh, co-option or is that the right word? <laughs> co-opting. Yeah, we'll co-opting. That's the word. She was literally mm-hmm. co-opting black culture for her own benefit. And I think a lot of people called her bluff on it. Rightly so. Right. What I think was smart that she did in that situation was that she sort of flipped the narrative and she put two chains on the remix to the song, almost as if to say, well, you know, we talked about it and we're cool. So she did subvert the narrative a little bit. I still think that she deserved what she got because I think it is cultural appropriation. But I think for the most part, for the rest of her career, like I said, it comes from a place of respect and reverence and love for the art form, I think, is what a lot of it boils down to. And it's it's so the it's it's the root of her vocal talent. Exactly. Like she is a soul and R and B singer. It's so obvious. Like it it's a, it's to your point, it's like it's not like watching Miley Cyrus, who is so not endemically an R and B singer, attempt to like twerk and do hip hop. It's like or watching Katy Perry, who could not be like further from the from anything having to do with hip hop music. She's a white Christian girl who like has like if anything I guess a rock oriented voice Ariana's voice is like so rooted in soul music in my opinion okay so that gives me to my, my one of my last questions for you which are I know you're a big fan so can you put the audience on to some like great lesser known Ariana records that you feel like are things that we should know about? I thought you'd never ask there are some songs that immediately came to mind there's a bonus track from my everything called cadillac song and i think it was released on like a target edition in japan or some shit it is i think probably my favorite song by her of all time i think it's just it's her singing over this sort of 50s 60s motown indebted sample and I think what I like about her later work is, like I was saying, her vocals are very subdued. And something about that song, is it's so textured. You can picture, she sings Ride Around in My Cadillac, and it's like a love song. And you could just picture her in this, like, black and white music video, and it's so visual. And anyways, that's a song that everyone, look it up on YouTube. It's, it's, It's floating around on there. And then she has a SoundCloud that she four years ago used for like five minutes and there's a there are four songs on there one of which is they're all like remixes of songs essentially or like different versions of songs she's put out but one of them you should look it up it's the og honeymoon ave i which and it's with the dap kings who did uh, you know a lot of their most notable work with amy winehouse for back to black and Mark Ronson, etc. Anyways, it's a livelier version of Honeymoon Avenue for those of you who go back to the Yours Truly era. Oh, 
Okay, and now we have to get on to the most important part of this, our Pantheon discussion. And I'm excited to have this moment with you because I actually think Ariana's like pretty cuspy and it's hard for me to know totally whether she's in tier three or tier two. So just as a quick refresher, tier three is for like, in Ariana's sense, is for like contemporary pop stars who are having their moment right now. They're huge. Anything they drop at this moment would be gigantic, but we're still kind of in the first swing of their career. So I have this theory that like, if you blow up as a pop star, if you become a huge pop star, like you have about an eight year tailwind where you're going to be big before you have to like completely reinvent and rejigger your image, your sound and everything to create a new level of interest. So like the great pop stars who extend beyond just being sort of like your mere pop star for a moment, the way you go from being Katy Perry to being Britney is you're able to reinvent your sound and image in a way that like draws people back in after seven or eight years. So tier three is really for those first wind megastars who are having a huge moment. Everything's really hot right now, but we still don't quite know where they are. Tier two is for artists that have gone beyond that. They have established themselves in a way where they're bigger than just that first moment. They have a, you know, an arsenal of 10 to 15 hits. They will probably be able to tour arenas for the rest of their careers. You know, even if they, you know, don't have hit any more big records, their legacies are somewhat set in stone, you know, that kind of thing. So my question is, if Ariana stopped making music right now, right? This was it. Let's say we never heard from her again. Would we remember her more as a Katy Perry or would we remember her more as a Rihanna? That's the question. I'd like to think that Rihanna and Katy Perry aren't so far off from one another. <laughs> oh, come on, Steven. I'm kidding. Kind of. But... Are you really? No. I'd like that's, to hear more that's, about that's that. Not, that's not the, the focus. So I think... But I mean, I guess just to clarify, what I mean is that I think Rihanna has you know, 10 to 12 years of hits. She's reinvented her sound numerous times. Her image has been reinvented numerous oh, times. Yeah. She she could never do anything else again. And I think we'd have a complete legacy to a certain degree. Yes, I absolutely agree. Katy Perry should take that note too. Um, she was very, Katy Perry is very, to me, associated with a very specific moment. It was a moment and she hasn't really been able to get out from under that moment. I was almost going to, I kind yeah. And I kind of feel like Lady Gaga was getting to that point and then, then we got Chromatica and I feel a little bit redeemed. Um, yes. And also I think A Star is Born was such a massive reinvention, a re, a reviewing of her in pop culture space that I think that was that helped lift her. Oh yeah, it washed out the it her. washed out the aftertaste of Joanne. Of Joanne, may she rest in peace. May she and the album rest. Yeah, um, yeah. But to, so, like, where do you see Ariana now? Do you still think she's tier three, or do you think she's? Do you think like, like, does Thank You Next count as a reinvention? Like, I, I, I'm unclear. Yeah, I think it's complicated because I think she embodies a lot of the elements of what you're referring to as a tier two sort of pop icon and a tier three one like she hasn't been around for a decade i don't think you can really say anyone who's been active for less than a decade if they went away they would be immortalized i think she needs more time and she could put out a thousand albums over the past seven or eight years and i don't think it, it would still count i think time helps cement you in those greater tiers like a Michael Mm. Jackson or a Madonna, like Michael Jackson, the last, I think, 
studio album he had put out was in 2001, Invinci- yeah. Invincible. And right. that was considered a flop, if we're being honest. Right, but... But the thing about tier one, which is where Michael most certainly is, is that if you're in tier one, you cannot leave tier one. It is like you're so your legacy right. is so fundamentally baked yes. in, in the cake that there is nothing that you could do to change exactly. it. Exactly. You know and I, I think mean? that's that's the point I was making is that if he put out a, a flop album and it had an absolutely zero effect on his legacy yeah. because his legacy right. was too large. But I also think to make it, I think I think that I think that point is true for the tier two people too. I think if you're in tier two, like if you're Britney, if you're Janet, if you're Justin Timberlake, you know, even Lady Gaga to a certain degree, I sort of feel like you're at a point in your career. I mean, Gaga's debatable. Yeah. You're at a point in your career where, like, like if Lady Gaga. Like, I feel that if Lady Gaga never did anything, like, if she just flopped for the rest of her career, I'm not saying that she's going to do that. I think her legacy and her impact was great enough that, like, it would be, it would make sense in the context of, like, the other tier two artists, like a Janet or something like that. Rain On Me was a number one hit that she released in 2020, 12 years into her career. Yeah. So that's like a pretty solid legacy there. Right. You know what I mean? I think someone like Ariana, it's. I think it's really hard to determine, and we sort of emailed a little bit about this. I think because, like I've we've talked about many times throughout this, that she's so consistent as an artist in terms of the actual product she puts out and the sort of frequency to which... Uh, she's doing it that it's hard to take a step back and say, well, let's sort of examine how she fits into pop culture right now and and how her legacy is sort of built on that. And I think to that effect, it's sort of too early to call. I think that's why it it puts her in between a tier two and a tier three. And I think one of the things that comes to mind about sort of this tier system is I keep thinking like, would a tier three pop artist be asked to play the Super Bowl? And when the conversation comes up about who's going to play the Super Bowl, is Ariana Grande one of them? To be honest, yes. I don't think she is. I don't think she... Oh, really, I think she totally would because to me... We finally disagree. The weekend is a tier three artist and he's playing the Super Bowl. You could, to me, the weekend is clearly a tier three I think artist. I agree with you. And Katy Perry, to me, is also clearly a tier three artist who gave us a great Super Bowl performance. Yeah, I mean, her Super Bowl performance was great. But I don't know. I think when those conversations... I think Jennifer Lopez is a tier three artist that gave us a Super Bowl performance. All right. On the Six was a classic. Um, (laughs) Yeah, but Jennifer Lopez... See, to me, the reason Jennifer Lopez, to me, doesn't reach tier, tier two is because she's so associated with a moment in time. It was not something like to me. You say Jennifer Lopez, yes, she had a long run of hits, but really, there was that one burst from 2000 to 2005 or six that was like the prime years of Jennifer Lopez's music career. Yeah, that was like how you know what I mean. She never reinvented to the point where it's like she was still making smash hit records in 20, you know, 15, 16, 17, like where we were still interested in her music in that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I think for Ariana, it's. It's just too early to tell. I mean, she's obviously a superstar. She has, I think, I think she has brand name recognition where if you say mm-hmm. Ariana, you know who you're talking about. I think, like, she could be mononymous. If she called her next album Ariana, I think that would seal the deal. Um, <laughs> and if it was good. <laughs> and I if mean, it was good. This is, this, is, this, is, this is my thing. This is, this is, I think you're right. I think Ariana's 
still tier three, but of the current batch of tier three, like bub- like the ones that are really bubbling, to me, she has the greatest potential to make the jump. 100%. Whereas like somebody like because because she's so huge at the moment and it's built and 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 yet has also been around for a while. Yeah, that's you know. I think Katy Perry is a good just contrast to her because it's someone Katy Perry, someone whose biggest moments were her first moments yeah. of superstardom. Ariana's biggest moments have been eight years into her career or seven or eight years into her career. She's the biggest that she's ever was. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, this is just the cynic in me, but also the pop historian in me that this does not last forever. Like, no, and she's still really young, does. and I think that plays a big part in it, but. At a certain point, she's going to do what Rihanna did, I think, and just fall back. And I think then it'll be easier to assess the impact that she's had. But then I think back on, like, to make the Rihanna comparison once more, I think about Rihanna's discography, and she has timeless hits. She has Mm -hmm. only Girl in the World, Mm -hmm. We Found Love, like... Rude Boy. Work, like... everything umbrella all those songs are still relevant and i think that's what makes Mm -hmm. her have this sort of this she's ahead of ariana in that regard and i think when you look back at ariana you look back at a single like break free and that is a classic song but i don't think it still has the lasting power of an only girl in the world or we found love and i think no those are the quintessential yeah you put on those songs in a pop you put on those songs in a club r.i.p clubs and totally. like the club goes off but yes. if you put on break free i really don't think it had the same effect and i think so well it was po it was post it, it wasn't trend setting that's what i'm saying about like only girl in the world in 2010 that was a that was a trend setting record and so was we found love right so break free was a trend following record interestingly enough like that's it a good was point. late on that yeah she um she did do that but but I think Thank You Next was a trend-setting sound. I, um, I'd agree. Like, I think it incorporated trap very fluidly into pop yes. music. And I don't think that a yes. lot of artists are capable of doing that. And I think we are going to see in the next couple of years a lot of artists that try to play on the formula that she landed on with that record. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, all right, yeah. So I guess it's like... I think we're really at an inflection point. I, I really do feel like in terms of ranking her in the Pantheon, what comes in the next two, three, four years is going to determine whether she's kind of a more like solidly tier three, which is like a very respectable tier place to be, or if she kind of elevates to that next level in that sort of rarefied group of people that are able to sustain interest and sustain, you know, many phases of their career and reinvent themselves in that way. It's fucking not easy when I started to break this shit down, Stephen, when I started to really think about this stuff, I was like, man, being a pop star that survives for more than 10 years is like, you deserve everything that you get for that. Because it is like, it, not many of them do it. Most of them, even these huge artists, I'm so sorry to keep harping on Katy Perry, <laughs> but even these, even these huge artists that explode. I mean, Katy Perry was so fucking gigantic, and you can't understate how big she was in the inescapable, early inescapable. And it just she hasn't been able to turn the key to open another a next era, a, ne- a not an album as an era, a next era of her career. The way that you know 
Madonna was able to unlock something with Ray of Light that allowed her career to extend for another 10 years. Or the way that Michael Jackson went from being a child star to being an adult star and unlocked like a complete other era of his career. You know, it's not easy to do. And I do feel like Ariana is at a point where like some sort of radical transformation. I mean, I don't know about for you. For me, I, I find Positions, her recent album, underwhelming. It's the first time I've really- It's a little that. flat. I feel the same way. It's a little flat. It's an album I didn't really it, return to. Yes, and it and it and it and I think the impact has been somewhat flat. I think the sound was sort of like "Thank You Next Part Two, and I just sort of felt like I do think Ariana's at that point where it would be good for her to flip the script on us. A little yeah, bit, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I think that plays to the idea that her story is still being written, which makes yes. it a little hard to contextualize it, but. Yeah. I think it's going to be a a very uh, unique battle for her to mm-hmm. sustain the success that she's had uh, without trying something maybe a little different. Which some might say positions Look, is a little different, but I don't think it was the right. No, it wasn't the right fit. I just, I just, I just felt it was very slight. That's what I'll say. Yeah, it was slight feeling. It did not feel. It didn't have. It the impact was slight. Yeah. It just the music was slight, the impact was slight. And that's interesting for somebody that's at the peak of her power like that. Yeah. But listen, when these reinventions come, they usually come, they fucking blow your socks off. You're not expecting it. I mean, to me, the the ultimate recent example of this is when Beyonce dropped that visual album. I mean, we were gagged. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> so, you know, that I mean I mean, it, it is the it is the template. It in is the sense of like she, she is the blueprint. Re- and, she reinvented her career. Yeah, reinvented it. Full stop. Like you, you. She was already huge, but it. She sent herself into the stratosphere. That's the kind of thing that you have to do. Yeah. So it's it. It remains. It's TBD. Agreed. I. But um, I. Before we end, what I'd like yeah. to see her do more of is, which I can't believe I didn't touch on yet, but "Ghost In" I think is truly the most unique song in her discography. And I think it's because that's on thank you next. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's about a, Mac it's Miller a, and yeah. it's a very quiet sort of contemplative song about life. I think that's it. It's yeah. I think it's the perfect example of what she's capable of and harnessing mm. that exact sort of artistic approach, I think could elevate her career much more i would love to see an album of songs like that how adventurous would that be like yes and and it's very emotionally evocative song too which is i think gets into what you were pointing out earlier which is so true is that she has a real she's able to touch you yeah which is rich that is not you you can't take that for granted right not all pop artists really are able to do that yep and she has she she does she is able to do that okay so we're gonna go out on ghosting Steven, thank you so much for doing Thanks this. For I had the best me. time talking so to you. I. I hope that you'll come back. I hope you'll come back and talk to us about. I know you have a lot of a uh, 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 flop stars that you <laughs> that you stand. And Did I you say flop I, stars. I'm gonna, yes, I'm gonna invite you back for Nicole Scherzinger. Oh no, I would be horrible at that. <laughs> anyway, we'll figure <laughs> it out. But thank you, thank you so much, Steven. Thank you. I know you hear me when I cry. I try to hold it in the night Why you're sleeping next to me But it's your arms that I need this time 
right, so Ariana, the judgment has been rendered and we're sticking her in tier three for now. Um, even though it is a little cuspy and debatable, I think Steven and I came to the understanding that it's still too soon to say she's in tier two and what she does next will be of great interest to all of us as pop fans and will be very determinative of whether she sort of is a legacy tier three artist or if she's able to move into this higher echelon. But I'm definitely planning to revisit these conversations periodically as artists do new things and warn a new assessment. So I look forward to doing that. Thank you so much to Steven Horowitz for coming on and talking to me about Ariana. I had the best time. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, like, subscribe, leave a rating, spread the word, tell your mom, tell your friend, tell your boyfriend, and please follow us on Instagram at poppantheonpod or on Twitter at poppantheonpod as well. I am also on Instagram and Twitter at D-J-L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V. And I also throw a really fun pop music dance party every Friday night on twitch.tv slash DJLouisXIV. So follow me in all those places and I will see you in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.